Welcome to episode 40 of the Girl About the Globe podcast, where I'm continuing our series of making a difference when you travel. This week, I share an interview with Ginger Kern, a coach, a TEDx speaker, and the curator of Global Shapers in Boulder Hub. Realising that only 38% of Americans had a passport, Ginger set up a non-profit to change that statistic. Ginger shares her experience of living in another country, the inner exploration that you can only get from travelling abroad, and she shows that you don't have to be travelling to make a difference. This interview was originally recorded four years ago when I lived in Colombia, but there were so many empowerment messages and ways to make a difference within our discussion that I felt it was the perfect time to share it again. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Girl About the Globe, a podcast for you as a solo female traveller, empowering women to travel solo with maximum adventure, minimum impact. This month's inspiring interview is with Ginger Kern. Ginger Kern is a coach, TEDx speaker, a Fulbright umna, and the curator of Global Shapers Boulder Hub. After working in Europe for over three years and travelling to 25 countries around the world by the age of 25, Ginger wanted to bring the traveller's mindset back to the United States. She saw that only 38% of Americans have their passport and has since founded a non-profit called The Passport Project to change that statistic. Through her transformational travel coaching, the Traveller's Mindset online platform and through speaking at universities and organisations across the US, Ginger's work encourages a culture of openness, curiosity, and world-centric thinking. Welcome, Ginger. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Lisa. It's so great to be here and talking with you yet again. I just, every single time, I totally enjoy our conversations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So just to begin, you say that you fell in love with travel at the age of 14. And obviously, (laughs) since then, you've lived overseas and you've been to over 25 countries. So... I'm really curious to know what sparked your wanderlust at such a young age. Yeah, of course. I I loved reading books, and I talk a bit about this in my TEDx talk, but basically ever since I was young, I was always reading these adventurous stories, whether it was Greek mythology or you know fantasy books or whatever, and the energy and the sort of initiative that all of the main characters had, whether they were guys or girls or whatever, old, young, didn't matter. The protagonist always went off and had an adventure. And whether it was in an, another world or in, you know, on our planet, didn't matter. The person was always exploratory. And so from a very young age, living in the Midwest where there just wasn't that much adventure around me, um, I had that contrast experience of, oh man, these books are so exciting. What if I could have that for myself? And then at age 13, when I had my first trip that I remember going abroad, that was with my family just for a couple of weeks, and we were in Germany and Austria, I fell in love with it. And luckily, and I'm I'm so, so grateful that my parents really supported me in traveling, um, at least when I was younger, their, their family in Germany was open to having me back that next summer. So I actually went by myself when I was 14 and stayed over there for a month. And that was really when I fell in love. Because as you can imagine, I mean, going away from your parents and being in a new culture, new country, new language, new food, everything's new, everything's exciting. And it's beautiful weather, right? It's summer yeah. in Europe. So um, all of that just really got me hooked. And yeah, that was when I was 14. So 
that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and then since then, you've learned German, French. You can also speak um, some Spanish as well, can't you? So how, how did you find that first month being in Germany, not knowing mm. the language? And I, I presume the culture was very different from that of the US as well. Yeah, well, you know how it is yourself, right? I mean, for anyone listening, if you haven't traveled much before, um, normally the period of the first like two weeks to a month or so is the honeymoon period, the honeymoon phase. So for me, it wasn't actually, I was nervous, right, leading up to the trip, very nervous, because I knew I didn't speak the language. I was going alone, like it was a transatlantic flight. I was 14, it was eight hours or so, I'm totally alone. Wow. And then I had no idea what would happen on the other side. I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have an internet connection. I sort of just hoped that people would be there to pick me up at the airport. And luckily, because they were family and they actually cared, they were. So um, I, I was nervous leading up to it. But once I got there, I realized that even though my second cousins and I didn't speak the same language, like the older one, he spoke a little bit of English, so that helped. But, you know, we found other ways, of course, like you always do. There are always other ways to communicate other than language. Now, does it take longer? Yes. So you do have to be a little bit more patient and playful with it. Um, you know, otherwise you'll end up getting a bit frustrated. But for me, it was more about just experiencing all of the newness, right? It's just this honeymoon phase of, wow, everything's really colorful and wonderful. And, you know, it's it's summer and European lifestyle is so chill and there's gelato everywhere, you know, like. <laughs> so that that was my, those were my first impressions, definitely, as as a teenager. And all of the good stuff, right? You always see the, the surface level, beautiful yeah. things at first. And it just really struck me and hooked me. Would you say that's quite unusual for, for somebody from the United States to go away at that young age? Because the st statistic is, as you say, only 38% of Americans have their passport. So Definitely, is, yeah. Are you not really encouraged to travel outside of the US? Or what do you think stops people from following in your footsteps and traveling like you have been? Well, a lot of things. I mean, people always have reasons why they don't do things. Um, the most common reasons that people give, whether it's true or not, right, is that they don't have money or they don't have time. And to that, I would answer, and this is from the standpoint of someone who now f totally, completely is on her own financially and supporting my own travels financially, whereas when I was 14, of course, I wasn't paying for that particular trip. Um, but since then, again, finding ways and actually prioritizing uh, ways to make money to travel or make money while traveling as you do for example those are choices that people can make if they really want to prioritize travel for themselves so it's a question of okay are you willing to give in to your reasons and let your reasons rule you or are you willing to actually make a choice and prioritize something and be committed to it and make it happen for yourself even though it might take a bit of time it might take a lot of energy um, if it's important enough to people then they'll do it so as far as why people don't travel necessarily, it's not really a priority for many Americans. Mm -hmm. Or if it is travel, then it's inter intercontinental. And another reason that people give, which is very common, and I, I totally understand it, I have compassion for it, mm -hmm. is that America's so big and we have so much diversity yeah. just in the topography. I mean, everything from volcanoes to glaciers to mountains, rivers, valleys, everything. Like, it's, it's a gorgeous country and I totally, totally love like our national park system, for example, beautiful, um, complete biodiversity there as well. 
the I suppose the only thing that we don't really have is like rainforest like the Amazons. But as far as reasons not to travel, well, there's a lot to explore here as well. Now, do I think that you can get as much out of traveling within your own country where everyone speaks pretty much the same language and the same chain stores or restaurants are everywhere? No, I don't. Um, it's not confronting. It doesn't force you to grapple with things that push you out of your comfort zone and force you to grow. So yes, you can explore and you can experience a lot of like beautiful uh, geography, but will you actually have that inner exploration that you get when you're forced out of your comfort zone? Not as much. Um, that's been my experience and that's been an experience of many of my fellow colleagues in the travel blogging world or in the travel industry. And I'm sure that you can support that as well in your, in your own experience. Definitely, definitely. So would you say that travel's a way of personal transformation? Because I know totally. personally that each time I go away on a solo trip, I always discover something else about myself and I have a yeah. completely different experience, especially because I've been doing it in my 20s and my 30s and each time is just different. And as I've yeah. got older, I've, I've, expect, I've had different experiences of what I need at that time. Mm -hmm. So would you also say that travel is a good way of personal development and transformation? A hundred percent. I mean, in fact, that's literally like I use travel as a tool for transformation in my coaching business. So, for example, you've heard of the story Eat, Pray, Love, yes. like most women have. <laughs> um, there's a reason why that narrative resonates so strongly with all of us, because we know that if we were to take that leap, and put ourselves out there in the world and you know whether it's three months or three weeks or three years you know if you're really going for it then there's a different side of us or perhaps even a completely new person who comes out at the yeah. end yeah uh, exactly. it's so funny I mean every time like you said every time you do go into a very new culture or country or whatever there's an aspect of your personality that gets uncovered that number one, you probably didn't even know existed. And number two, you actually desperately need or desperately desire for yourself, whether that is, it could be more confidence, it could be independence, it could be self-trust. Like I developed so much trust in myself after a couple of experiences in Southeast Asia where I had to figure things out on my own and I didn't speak the languages and I didn't have very many contacts or friends on the ground. So all these things, they sort of, they come to a head when you're traveling because you have to look at them. Like you're literally forced to deal with them. Whereas in our everyday lives, we might, you know, we might actually fall back on a pre-existing support system, friends, family, people who, you know, basically they know us for who we are and they want us to sort of stay that way because that's comfortable and that's who they know. But when you're traveling, you don't have that. And so you're free to become anyone that you desire. You're free to go in different directions than maybe you would have allowed yourself to before. And that's a really beautiful possibility that opens up when you're outside of your normal, you know, society confines or whatever, right? So you know as well as I do, because I know that you live in Medellin in Colombia, that the way that you act and the way that you interact with people when you're there, because you're a foreigner, right? So, you know, Colombians have societal rules for other Colombians. And they have certain ideas about what foreigners are like, but they don't have necessarily rules for how you should be acting because you're just some random British chick who's there. Yeah. And 
you know, that leaves you very free to just create whatever type of life you'd like to for yourself. Whereas if you were back, back in Britain, you would probably feel the weight of all of the societal rules and expectations that come with being a native Brit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very different type of freedom um, that you can have for yourself when you do take that leap and when you do put yourself out there. And I found the same thing for myself, whether it was living in Germany for, you know, over three years or staying in Thailand for a while or, I mean, even just recently going down to Colombia, it was, it was really a question of, okay, what do I want for myself here, <laughs> you know? I must admit as well, because I'd been away for 20 months and I had the chance to go back to the UK for Christmas for five weeks and I feel as though I've moved on a lot and I've changed my personality in those 20 months and returning back to the UK I had trouble trying to fit back into the old mold that Mm -hmm. I used to be and of people's expectations of me and the way that I used to interact with my friends and my family and Mm -hmm. I'd now grown and I had different things to offer but I was still they they still presumed me to be the same person that I was before I left. So, Correct. Which isn't them being wrong or me being right. It's just a, a massive something. That it's I a just, shift. Yeah, massive shift exactly. And it wasn't until I came back to Colombia that I kind of felt I could breathe again and be free. And being mm. here gives me the opportunity to be the new me and to redefine myself with who I want to be, rather than try and fit into old models of myself. So. That was, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was really interesting to, to see. It's great that you mentioned that that happened because often people don't expect that coming back in. And I have found that the reverse culture shock or the process of actually reacclimating and reintegrating to my passport country culture is more difficult than the initial culture shock of going into the new place. Um, and one thing that you you touched on a little bit right there is that the people around you, they're really expecting you to be the same person and you know inside that you're not. And so the dissonance happens when you feel like you can't express the new person that you are in a way that they're actually receiving you. So like your friends, your family, you feel like you literally cannot be understood and gotten by them. And that creates an immense amount of of inner turmoil if you let it. The other thing though to counter that is patience. And also speaking very clearly and, and prefacing a conversation with someone like a best friend who's expecting you to be, you know, excited and, and all of that, but still the same person and you know you're not. You just got to sit down with them and say, like, listen, this was an incredibly transformative experience and I'd love to share really deeply, like, what happened for me. But I do want to ask if you're willing to actually be open to some new stuff coming out, stuff that wasn't there before for me, but stuff that's really true for me right now. And having that type of really deep heart-to-heart conversation with someone can help them see who you are now and who you see yourself to be. But you also have to be willing for the outcome to happen that maybe they don't get you anymore. Maybe maybe you aren't actually aligned as friends or as as, as partners, who knows, right? anymore and that is a distinct possibility that could happen when you come back from traveling something to just keep in mind that doesn't mean that you're wrong or they're wrong as you said Mm -hmm. but it just means that you've up up leveled in your own knowledge of yourself you've probably come into more and deeper alignment with who you truly are and who you truly want to be and that naturally means that if you've done that for yourself and for example someone else stayed home and 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 hasn't shifted at all 
then there's going to be some sort of feeling of disconnection, which is okay. You can still have affinity. You can still love each other or be friends or whatever. But just know that, you know, when you're coming back to that home country or that passport country of yours, that, yeah, that feeling of, oh, shit, I don't belong anymore. Like, that's probably going to be there. And the fun part, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this one, the fun part is that when you don't belong there, you find that you belong anywhere. And you can actually really very easily connect with people who have been out in the world traveling themselves because they also feel like they don't belong um, 100% at home anymore. And so we actually have seen this rise of people who really identify as more global citizens. And that's not from a some sort of like some sort of arrogant perspective. It's not like, oh, I'm so worldly, like, look at me, la, la, la. It's literally about, okay, I don't 100% align with all of the rules in my home culture, home country anymore. And I know that other people are out there who are like me, who are willing to try on new things, to discover new places, to to really look at what makes a human a human and, and, and all of this, right? So it's a matter of, okay, how can I connect with those people no matter where they're from? And there are plenty of communities out there, like Global Shapers, for example, um, or like your the people who read your blog, right? They're all like-minded, values-aligned women who want to explore themselves in the world. Same with all of my clients, right? So people are out there. It's just a matter of knowing that when that dissonance happens with your friends or family back home, that you do have places to go to. You do have new communities who are ready and happy to accept you as you are, as that transformed, shifted self. Exactly. So one of your movements is the traveler's mindset, which you say is to get people out of their comfort zone and into the zone where the magic happens. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you keep that traveler's mindset when you do return home? Well, one thing that I love to do is always plan a very short trip, like closer to home, um, once I've actually arrived back home. So for example, last uh, last summer, I was in Europe for three weeks. And I knew that when I got back to the States, I would probably feel a little bit discombobulated and and sad that the trip was over. And so what I did in advance was plan a weekend away just in the mountains of Colorado because I live in Boulder, which is relatively close to the mountains. And I, I think I arrived back on a Monday evening from Europe and that weekend, Friday afternoon, um, I took off for just a very short trip to sort of recalibrate and recenter into the fact that I can be adventurous very close to home. I don't have to fly across an ocean or go to another country um, in order to have a really fun experience that, you know, leaves me feeling more peaceful, more free, um, energized, all of that. And so, yeah, I ended up going camping for three days, did a couple of, you know, 10-mile day hikes. It was just a really beautiful experience. Saw some amazing waterfalls that I had never seen in my life and just gorgeous scenery. I mean, Colorado is a beautiful place. There's <laughs> a lot to explore here too. So that's one way I do it is planning adventures closer to home. And in all your travels, because I know you've been to 25 countries or maybe it's 26 now with Colombia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is there a place which has surprised you and which has exceeded your expectation or somewhere where you truly hmm. remember where you grew as a person? Yes, definitely. Um, Cambodia was okay. certainly actually Cambodia and then Thailand um two reasons so Cambodia was the first 
developing country that I had visited, and uh, I stayed there for three weeks. I was actually with a good friend of mine and fellow couch surfer at the time. Um, he lives there now, and he's been there for several years, um, runs businesses and all of that, and is very deeply ingrained in the local community as well, um, as well as the expat local community. So basically staying with him and learning like what all of the different layers of Cambodian society are like um, it was a, a rude awakening to the corruption that is very much present in the world and also the exploitation that Western countries like my own sort of leverage over developing countries in order to extract resources from them. And I saw for myself, like, for example, um, where do my clothes come from? Well, if I take a look at the tags, a lot of them do say made in Cambodia or made in China, right? Mm -hmm. And so knowing that just outside of Phnom Penh, there are factories that manufacture these clothes and that many women, for example, like hundreds, um, work grueling hours in terrible conditions for very little money, producing clothes that I will buy or I would buy in the States, for example, marked up to thousands of percents you know, more in terms of value. That didn't sit well with me. Um, and just seeing that there were choices that I could make as a consumer or just as a person, right, um, that I didn't have to support something like that anymore. Uh, seeing it in the flesh is a very different thing from hearing about it. If someone's listening to me right now talk about it, um, I, I know that, you know, you can start to relate to it. Um, but really seeing it like in front of you, it's a reality that you cannot deny. And you have the choice then whether you're going to continue supporting that or whether you're not. And so... That was one thing that was really surprising. Um, now, it was also surprising, Cambodia was also surprising in a very good way, um, because I, I thought it would be a lot more dangerous than it was. I thought I would feel um, way more culture shock than I did. I, I, and, and really, I mean, it was such a welcoming country. I loved it. Like, the whole experience was beautiful. I, I learned a little bit of Khmer, or Khmer, as they pronounce it, which is the Cambodian language. Um, had so much fun trying all the food. I mean, what a cuisine, seriously. <laughs> it's like so delicious. Um, yeah, and just getting to know actually some people who could speak English pretty well and and knowing how young the country is. I mean, given all of the, the, the genocide from Pol Pot's regime, yeah. the majority of the country is like under 25. And it creates a very different vibe when you know that pretty much everyone around you is, at the time, it, they were my age. So really just a very interesting dynamic to be in um, and see what potential that country actually has, for example. Um, and then Thailand, just to <laughs> wrap this up, for me was super transformative um, that first time because I actually chose to stay in a temple, uh, a Thai Buddhist temple wow. for seven days and do quote-unquote lessons in meditation. Now, as a Westerner, I thought I could just learn how to meditate and be done with it. <laughs> Turns out that's not how meditation works. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> It's a really interesting achiever mentality that I brought with me that totally did not work. <laughs> yeah, it's an <laughs> it's ongoing cool process, isn't it? Yeah, practice, right? Practice, yeah, exactly. not something that you can learn and then be done with. Yeah, so that, that was a, an amazing week where we fasted for 20 hours every day. Uh, it was a liquid fast, so we could have any sort of like water, juices, um, like sugar cane juice or whatever, you know, milk, tea, coffee, and no food except for breakfast at like 8.30 and then lunch 
um, at 11.30 and you had to be done eating by noon because from noon until breakfast the next day, um, there was no more food so that you could actually focus on your mindfulness of your, your body, your breath, your awareness, um, rather than focusing on digesting or creating a meal or whatever. So that whole seven-day period was, it wasn't a silent meditation. So I still was talking with, uh, for example, the nun who led us through some guided meditations or uh, we, were, we, were, we would chant every morning for like an hour from 5 until 6 a.m. and then we would meditate for another hour and then we would eat breakfast. So just getting up at 4.30 to be able to chant for an hour, <laughs> like something I would never do in my normal life ever. Um, but it was so wonderful. Like, yes, it was uncomfortable at times um, in terms of just like physical awareness. Of course I was hungry or of course I was tired, but you learn or I learned that I could sit with that and I would still be alive. Nothing would explode. You know, I, would, I wouldn't die. And I could just be with that discomfort and actually move through it. And that's helped me time and time and time again wherever I feel resistance in my life. And so I'm just totally grateful for the fact that, that Thailand happened to include this wonderful subset of Buddhist culture in this particular temple that was open to teaching foreigners um, and, and sharing that culture with us. So, yeah, just an amazing experience. Actually, if anyone wants to look it up, the website is meditationthailand.com. Totally highly recommend it. Um, and, yeah, it's all donation-based as well. So Okay, brilliant. I'll put a link to that under there as well. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting what you were saying about becoming more conscious of what you're purchasing because mm. I think in the Western world, we just accept that you buy your food from Tesco's or especially in England, you buy a cheap jumper from Primark and right. you're not really understanding who's making it, what it's funding. It's kind exactly. of, you're just not conscious to it. So I think when you travel and you see it for yourself, you become mm -hmm. more aligned with your own values and your ethics and just more aware of what is actually happening and it's it that's a really good way to be it's a good thing to bring back to your country is to be more aware and be more conscious totally and I think a big part of that and something that people have some resistance to is thinking well you know if I do buy that t-shirt from H&M or Primark or whatever then I'm a bad person it's like no you're not you're really not I mean look, like look at the uh, what you've been born into right as a system as a society now you're not a bad person for doing that. It's just simply your choice whether or not you choose to actually continue supporting it. And if you do choose to continue supporting it and, you know, knowing where some of that is coming from or where that money is going to, then that is your choice. I'm not going to say that you're a terrible person for doing that. Yeah, but exactly. just it's literally just a question of, like, what are you willing to do? Um, like, I, I don't know if you consider yourself to be an activist or if you just want to go with the flow and, like, just, you know, whatever right it's it's always your choice but what i'm trying to say is like the awareness like you said that like the just the consciousness around it it's not a bad thing to have right and then being actually able to make powerful decisions for yourself that's something that you can take into every aspect of your life so asking like why is you know why is that person being a certain way well who knows what what's their upbringing what's their circumstance currently um, you can you can actually have a lot more compassion for people, so it extends far beyond just thinking about like what where do our things come from, but it's really like what are the circumstances surrounding everything that makes up our reality, yeah. and how do we want to be as a completely free person within that reality, um, sovereign, autonomous, 
making our own very empowered choices. So yeah, I think it extends, it starts a chain reaction of, of a lot of thought processes that open up a lot of freedom. And I think that's a really nice thing to have more freedom. So yeah. Exactly. So since you've begun the Traveler's Mindset and also your TEDx talk, which is so inspiring, have you, you have you seen a reaction from people? Have they been <laughs> open to traveling? Or You know, it's funny. I think, so you're asking about impact, right? Like what's the impact yeah, of the yeah, TEDx the talk impact? or whatever. Um, it's so freaking cool, Lisa, because like literally like every other week or so I get a message, whether it's in my, you know, the filtered Facebook inbox where it's just some random person messaging you. And it's like literally last week I got an email or a message from a girl in Amman, Jordan. And she wrote to me after having watched my TEDx talk, she found me on Facebook and I was like, great, awesome. Um, I love hearing stuff like this because it's, it's just, it recharges me and it keeps me on mission, Right. And she wrote to me saying, you know what, I'm so excited to go and travel the world and here's my obstacle. It's my parents. I'm still young and in Jordan it's not normally acceptable for girls to go and travel alone. Now, you and I, Lisa, we know that when we go and travel, it's it's accepted that we're alone but we still get questioned a lot like, why are you alone? Why didn't Definitely. your boyfriend come with you? Why aren't <laughs> you married? Like yes. all of this. Even when I was in Colombia these past two weeks, like I got asked literally more than a dozen times like, oh, you have a boyfriend? Why isn't he with you? And it's like no one would think to ask my boyfriend, oh, why isn't your girlfriend with you? <laughs> you know, <It's> like <laughs> such an interesting double standard to view. But yeah. um, for her, this girl, she just wrote to me and and appreciated that I was speaking about it, first of all, which was really kind of her, but also sharing, you know, her obstacle, which is certainly the obstacle of many women, whether or not they're in the Middle East um, or North Africa or wherever, right? And that's something that I do want to work more on. And so what I did in response was, first of all, obviously thank her for watching it, thank her for sharing her thoughts. And then I took the next step and I actually put her in touch with a friend of mine who happens to be from Libya, but she lives in Amman as well. And she's a global shaper. So that organization I mentioned before, um, mm-hmm. it's globalshapers.org. And she's a wonderful, powerful young woman. And she s- certainly has grappled with the idea of, okay, well, I'm a woman and I'm going to go and travel and also create a business that, you know, not only serves my own country, but also can work with international uh, clients as well. And so they're going to be meeting up in Amman, in Jordan. So literally someone Amazing. I don't even know, like they're now they're in touch. They're going to go and have really good conversations, I imagine, and she'll be more empowered. So as far as impact, like it's not just about the TEDx talk itself and the impact that it has when someone sits there and watches it, although that obviously will spark things as well more motivation, more adventurousness, more openness. That's the whole point. But then the step further for those people who do take the extra initiative to reach out to me or ask a question or make a comment on the on the video, you'll see there are like almost 100 comments that I will respond to it. Like I actually care. And so I'm, I'm just so excited that that's been happening ever since I gave the talk um, and that, that it came up online. So the other thing that came out of it was wanting to create an initiative that actually supports Americans in getting their passport, specifically young Americans, high schoolers who don't necessarily have the financial support from their parents to do something like that. Um, Because I very strongly believe that, number one, if kids are more open to adventure anyway, because we, you know, we're, we're fearless when we're younger, we just, the world is totally open to us and we're ready to have some sort of rite of passage. And often that could be through travel. So I created this thing called the Passport Project, which is all about funding 
Americans' uh, passports, specifically people who are coming from less privileged backgrounds where their parents may not be able to financially support them in getting a passport, which currently costs, I believe, 135 US dollars. And again, that's actually not a ton of money if you're thinking about, okay, how long will that take to save that money? Um, you know, it could take a year for some people or less than a year, maybe just a week, who knows, right? But the important thing is that people prioritize it. And so part of it is, or part of the passport project is raising awareness about that stat of only 38% of Americans having a passport. Now, how does it work? Well, we partner with, we're actually in the process of finding the right fit for a school to partner with so that that we can actually form a peer group of students at that school who can be representatives of the Passport Project, crowdfund passports for their peers. And we're a registered 501c3 nonprofit in the United States. We have a very complex nonprofit system here. Um, and so we do, we can accept, actually accept donations, which is great. And they're tax deductible for the people who want to donate. So I can send you the link to that as well. It's the it's transformationfoundation.org slash passport project, I believe, but I'll, I'll make sure to send that to you, Lisa. Right. And um, yeah, so the, the kids would be crowdfunding the passports for their peers and just going for it, right? So it teaches them leadership, it has them engaged in their own school, and it has them have the impact with their peers so that their peers can also travel as they are able to. So Amazing. yeah, we're still working at that system in particular, but we have the the basics set up so that people can actually donate and that that can start happening. It's a, it's a pretty new initiative, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice. It sounds very exciting. Yeah, I, I hope that it will have the impact. Um, and I, I do see that this is like a lifelong thing. You know, I mean, you and I have talked about this just in personal conversations, but I think what we're really committed to is just having a world that's more peaceful and inclusive and and open. And that does take a lifetime. Like, I'm, I don't think either of us is daunted by that. It's just a matter of, okay, what are we a stand for? And what are we willing to take action on so that that impact can actually happen? whether it's little by little or whether it's in quantum leaps or both, doesn't really matter to me as long as it happens. Exactly. And going back to what you said about the lady contacting you from a man in Jordan, um, in my yeah. About the Globe Facebook group, I actually had a woman contact me from India and she said that she wanted to go traveling and she said that more and more women are now starting to, which I think is amazing because in yeah. countries where the culture where I'm very careful that I'm not generalizing here, but where of women, course, women yeah. are seen in a completely different light, for them to want to step into their own power and want to travel and do mm -hmm. what they want to do is just really amazing to see. So that my girl about the group, Facebook group is just always teaching yeah. me about different women in the world. It's it's great. Beautiful. Yeah, it is great. And it's a, it's indicative of the times, right? So the more connected that we become, the more visible it is to a woman in that particular circumstance to see that there are other options out there. Like before it wasn't even visible, like, oh, literally this is default reality. I have no other options. Like this is my life. End of story. But with the internet, with Skype, with whatever, I mean, Twitter, <laughs> name any sort of platform, Facebook, whatever. You just know that there are other options out there. And yeah, does that cause dissonance with your, your family members, especially if they are more traditional and want you to be that way as well? Sure. Will it, be, will it involve a lot of very potentially heavy or hard conversations that are raw and potentially even you know triggering of a lot of sadness for people around you? Yes. 
And if you know in your core of cores that like that is what matters to you, then the most quote unquote selfish action that you can take can also be the best action for your own well-being in the long run. Now, I'm not saying it won't be hard, right? So anytime that you want to go against the wishes of people around you, especially if it's people you really care about, it can feel terrible in the short term. But by sacrificing that and not listening to your true calling in inside of your core of cores, you're like I I know from experience because I've totally done this for for months at a time and actually not listened to myself and I caused myself an immense amount of pain that I totally did not have to. Yeah. And you know, it it would have been painful in the short term to have the real conversation and just address it and do it directly, but it would have saved me months if not like a full year of pain and my own self-inflicted suffering. So I just say that it's like do have those difficult conversations if that's what you, th- what you think is really true for you. And you're going to learn along the way. I mean, you know as well as I do, right? Like <laughs> we're, we're always just experimenting anyway. It's just, you know, it's a process. Um, exactly. Life's yeah. a journey, not a destination, isn't it? Exactly. Totally is. So finally, what would you say to somebody who is looking at taking a solo travel trip, maybe for the first time, talking about primarily females now? And they're feeling quite apprehensive about it and fearful. What would you say to someone? Mm. Well, at first I would say identify what scares you the most and see how you can actually put a system in place or a structure, support structure in place to have you actually um, feel not alone in it. So what I mean by that is if something that scares me the most is the actual being alone on the road, like being alone in a foreign country, then what can I do about that? Well, I can find friends on the ground. And then the question is, okay, how do I do that? And then it becomes a question of how, not what do I have to do. So I'll take it a step further and say to myself, okay, I wonder how I can connect with people in advance who maybe share some similar interests so that if I'm, you know, I'm actually connected to people that maybe I'll enjoy hanging out with. And then I'll ask, okay, how can I get connected with them? There are platforms like Couchsurfing. There are platforms through starting block there's global shapers there is there are plenty of facebook groups uh, for specific niche industries like entrepreneurs abroad like coaches abroad like dancers abroad like whatever i'm speaking obviously from my own experience but for someone who's an engineer there's you know there's engineers without borders you can literally search for any organization or any activity that is something that you love doing and find organizations abroad that do the same or similar things then it's really up to your confidence and your self-trust in actually going out and uh, or reaching out and emailing them or tweeting at them or, or just somehow getting connected with them. You can do it in advance or you can wait till you're there. I personally recommend doing it in advance. So that's just a simple solution for one specific fear. But to pull back and go back to the macro level, if it's a solo traveler and she's sitting here at home thinking like, shoot, I really want to do this, but I have no idea like where to start. Or, you know, like everyone around me is telling me not to go, that it's too dangerous and blah, blah, blah. Like think about, okay, what's the main fear? Like really what's your core fear? And write it down. And then physically take a look at it. As long as it's out of your head, you can deal with it, right? So if it's on paper, then you can start solving. Then you can start reaching out. You can start connecting with people like you, Lisa, people like me. Um, Literally, I found that you know, most travel bloggers are very, very open 
to people commenting and asking for support or emailing them or hopping on their newsletter and hitting reply and saying, hey, like I'm planning on going to this place that you just wrote about. I'm really afraid of X, Y, Z or I can't figure out how to do X, Y, Z. And they'll respond. They'll help you. Like that's what they're there for. That's literally their career. You know, they've chosen it because they're passionate about it and because they know that people are out there. Like someone listening right now might be feeling, I just can't do this on my own. Well, the good news is you're not actually ever on your own. You just have to take the step and let yourself reach out and get connected to people who are already, who have already been where you want to go. Exactly. And there's so many people out there doing the same thing as you as well. And I always believe that when you go away, especially solo, you meet the right people, you're at the right place, everything kind of aligns and you get what you need at that very moment in time. So if you're just open to it and just allow yourself to enjoy the experience, then you'll meet. And trust. Yeah, trust, exactly. And it's often your fears and that little voice in your head, which is just trying to keep you safe and telling you stories aren't true. So the reality is as soon as you land, as soon as you're in your hostel or your the guest house or host family for that first night, the reality is never as bad as what your mind thinks Makes it's up. gonna be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that said, like bring your common sense with you, right? So it's a, there's a big difference and this is something that you will learn while you hone your ability to distinguish uh, between the the voice in your mind and your gut instinct. Like so yes. it's literally like you can feel the difference when it's just your brain talking at you versus like a stomach or heart or chest level, like I'm physically talking about in my body, um, an intuitive like punch in the gut that says, do not go there or don't listen to that person or, you know, I need to be protective right now versus your head just talking at you and saying like, ooh, like this is kind of worrisome or like I don't exactly know how to do this or I shouldn't say that or what if, you know. It, there's literally a physical difference between your your mind worrying and your intuitive gut common sense. You should really take a look at this and listen um, alarm system that like registers on a physical level. So you'll you'll learn to distinguish between the two, and both are um, useful in their own right. But I'd say that the whole mind stuff, like what you were talking about, it's never really as bad as what it you know will be. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's really true actually, and and I believe that your intuition just gets completely heightened when Mm -hmm. you're away as well so yeah if you get that gut reaction just always always go with that gut reaction and just remove yourself from any situation that you're unsure of because it's your body totally tell you something yeah yeah and that can happen at home as well it's just that when you're traveling you have to listen to it even more so yeah definitely brilliant thank you so much for your time ginger and i'll put all of the links below on the interview as well so Wonderful. Again, thank, thank you. you. Lovely speaking to you and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for listening to our Girl About the Globe podcast, making solo travel easier for you. Find everything that you need for your solo travels at girlabouttheglobe.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.